seated. Let's bring our petitions and our requests to this good and kind Lord and King. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, this, this current Christmas season and, and just what a wonderful reminder it is of that night divine when our Savior was born, our Emmanuel, God with us. And we just marvel today that in love, your Son, Jesus Christ, chose to enter our human existence And we pray that today, as a church, as a local congregation, that we would experience what your word teaches us is true, that you are with us because of the gospel. You are present with your people as we gather in your name, that the church is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are God with us. God, this morning we also want to pray for our our leaders in government Um, And particularly, as your word instructs us to do, we want to pray this morning uh, for for the governors, the mayors, the first responders, um, as well as as FEMA leadership and other other different agencies as they respond to uh, the devastating tornadoes in, uh, in many states, in Kentucky, Arkansas, Tennessee, Illinois, Mississippi, Missouri, Oh God, we pray uh, in this situation that these various leaders at, at, at different levels, local and state, uh, that they would work together for, for the good of their people, that you would, would help them, empower them to make wise decisions and to have well-planned and well-executed coordination of their rescue efforts and relief. God, we, pr- we, we pray that they would that they would be able to provide not only practical and tangible help that is, that is much needed to those who are, are hurting uh, in the aftermath of all this destruction. We also pray that they would be able to comfort and give strength to their communities uh, as they mourn uh, with them and as they provide leadership. Ultimately, God, we pray for these leaders and, 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 and other leaders in other states as well, but we pray that they would reflect the heart of Jesus, the good shepherd we just, uh, that Tanner was praying about and that we were singing about. God, this shepherd who protects and who cares for those uh, who are under him, his sheep, and who does that with selflessness and compassion. God, we pray that these, that these leaders would, would truly know and that they would be convicted that the position of authority that you have, have given to them, uh, it belongs to you. Uh, and it is yours uh, to give to whom you will, and that they are meant to represent uh, your character, your reign, your goodness. We pray uh, that you would help them to do that. God, we know that you're God not only of this church and not only of of this country, but you are God of the whole world. And so this morning we want to lift up um, the nearly 10 million people in the United Arab Emirates. And God, in uh, in that place that that has so much wealth, so much affluence. We pray particularly for um, the many migrant laborers who are working often uh, in terrible conditions with, with little pay. And we pray uh, that, 
just the vast resources uh, that are in that, in that place, in that country, um, coming from, from oil, wealth, uh, God, that, that, would be, that those resources would be channeled and used uh, wisely and faithfully, and more attention would be given to addressing um, the needs of all the people there and, and human rights violations that are taking place, human trafficking, uh, and other injustice and oppression. Uh, we pray that there would be righteousness and there would be justice. And especially, God, we pray for the church there. Thank you for the Christian witness that is there and for the, the conversions that are taking place. We praise you uh, for that. We pray that there would be even more openness uh, there in the UAE, that there would be more religious freedom and so that evangelism uh, could continue and to, could take place without fear of persecution or reprisal. And God, finally, we pray uh, for us, for South Canyon Baptist Church, and we pray um, as we are about to continue in our short series in Luke 2, uh, God, show us the glory of our salvation and the glory of our Savior, um, this Savior who was foreshadowed and promised throughout the Old Testament and who has finally arrived in the person of Jesus Christ. And help us to have the joy, the peace, the gratitude that we should have. Help us not only to sing of these things or to, to hear these words um, sung or, or put up on our walls in decoration. God, help us to experience them at the level of the heart. God, in light of what you've done by sending your son for us. And we pray all these things in his name, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I know that uh, many of you uh, really enjoy watching college sports, basketball, football, NFL. I don't really know what's going on right now, but those, those sorts of things. Uh, I, you know, recently I was with a, a group of guys, and uh, everyone's kind of going back and forth talking about their, you know, their college teams from their home states or where they went to school and maybe how badly they're doing or may, maybe how well they're doing. Um, and since I don't really follow all that, I, I'm very much out of the loop. But, you know, one sporting event that my family uh, often does really enjoy kind of watching or, or keeping track of is the Olympics. And, of course, we had this sort of unusual circumstance where we had the, the summer games a year late due to COVID, and now next year we get to have the winter games uh, again really soon. Uh, but one of the things that you'll see if you try to sit down and go through the, the big slog of watching the, the opening ceremonies um, is there's this particular role that uh, I think, especially for those who are participating in the Olympics, who are there uh, on the ground, it's, it's a huge honor. It gets a lot of fanfare. And that's the person who gets to carry the Olympic torch up uh, to light the Olympic cauldron. And they do that every time. And, and someone is chosen. The way it works is someone from the, the host country, the country that's hosting the games that year, someone's chosen, um, whether from that country or, or who maybe now lives somewhere else in the world but comes from that country to represent uh, the host country. And so there have been famous athletes, people like Wayne Gretzky or Muhammad Ali, um, have, have been among those torchlighters. But it's not always a famous athlete but it always has a special significance. And so 
you know, in, in 1988, there was a 12-year-old schoolgirl who was chosen to represent Canada. Um, in 1994, it was the crown prince of Norway. Uh, in Tokyo, Tokyo Games back in 1964, uh, a young man named Yoshinori Sakai lit the torch, and he had been born on the same day that the, the atom bomb fell in Hiroshima. So it's fascinating to just kind of look at Olympic history and consider you know, the reason and the, the thought process behind why certain individuals are chosen to carry uh, this, this important flame, this symbol of uh, really the continuity of the games from ancient to modern times and also kind of the, the spirit of human achievement. So if a country is looking to, to choose someone to represent their values or to represent kind of what they stand for, what they want to be known for, who are they going to choose? Is it going to be a world-famous champion? Is it going to be just a young schoolgirl? Is it going to be a member of the royal family? Whatever they decide, whoever they choose, that's going to communicate something about them as a country. Well, last week in our series in Luke chapter 2, we heard about the account of the birth of Jesus and so, you know, by God's sovereign design, by his plan, Joseph and Mary traveled to Bethlehem because of this Roman census, and this took place in fulfillment of prophecy uh, that we just heard read at the beginning of the service from Micah 5, because the Savior must be born in the city of David. This newborn king was going to sit on the throne of his father David. And so there in Bethlehem, Jesus was born in poverty, in obscurity, wrapped in cloths and, and laid in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. But now, in today's, in today's text, the time has come for this momentous birth to be announced. God has sent his son, his royal son, the one bringing God's kingdom to earth. And now he wants to let the world know he sends angels to bestow on someone, some individual, some group of people, the honor of sharing that message for the very first time. And so one of the questions that should be in our minds, I think one of the questions Luke wants us to ask is, who is he going to choose? Where is he going to send his, his glorious and holy angels with this news? And so that brings us to our passage in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. We're going to be reading, uh, if you want to look it up in the pew Bibles under the chair in front of you, it's on page 857, but Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8 through verse 20. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. 
And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. So if I was going to, uh, as, I, as I often do, uh, you guys are probably used to the drill by now, but if I was to, to kind of summarize this passage, summarize the main idea, what I think we're meant to take away um, in a, kind of a complete sentence, uh, I, would, I would summarize it by saying the good news, right, the gospel, the good news is announced from heaven. We see that in, in verses 8 through 14 as... as uh, as the, the, the angels come and announce this news to the shepherds. The good news is announced from heaven. It brings us to Jesus. We see the shepherds' response. They go, they find the child, they meet Jesus, the Savior. And then finally, it compels us to go tell it. Uh, they, they tell uh, seemingly everyone they come across about what they've seen, what they've heard, what they've experienced. So the good news is announced from heaven brings us to Jesus, and then compels us to go tell it. Uh, but for our outline today, and you'll see this in your, in your handout if you have one, I just wanted to keep things really, really simple. And, and that, that sentence is, is compact, but it could even be simpler. And so our outline is just going to be simply this. Hear the gospel, meet the Savior, and tell the world. So in our text this morning, we see the shepherd's response to the news of Jesus' birth. And really, as we see their story, it confronts us with our own choice. And I believe this is what Luke uh, is, is really aiming at here. How will we respond to the news of the Savior's arrival? And I believe uh, the truth of, of what, what Luke has written here, the truth of God's word, is that just like the shepherds, each and every person needs to hear the gospel meet the Savior, and tell the world. So let's start in, uh, with the first point of that, hear the gospel, uh, the first part of our passage, uh, verses 8 through 14. In verses 8 and 9, the angel of the Lord appears to these shepherds who are out keeping watch over their flock. And so again, the first question we have to ask is, why did, does God choose to make Christ's birth known to these shepherds of all people? And actually, if, you know, if you've read through uh, the Bible uh, once or on, on more than one occasion, you know <laughs> when it comes to shepherds, there's, there's so much going on here. It's almost hard uh, to know where to begin. But certainly in, in this day, in, in the, the day of uh, when Jesus was born, shepherds ranked very low on the socioeconomic scale. Um, they were probably going to be considered kind of dirty, unclean, always having to deal with animals out, out in the, in the, the wilderness, uh, untrustworthy, kind of rough characters. You might not want to just meet uh, in, on a dark night out in the field. And ironically, they were considered um, so unreliable that they would not have been uh, able to give testimony in court. And yet, God chooses them to be the first evangelists, the first eyewitnesses, of the arrival of the newborn Messiah. 
And I think really in this we see the upside down nature of this kingdom that is breaking in. The kingdom of God where the first shall be last and the greatest must be servant of all. You know, in, in Mary's song back in Luke chapter 1, uh, known as the Magnificat, she declares in, in Luke one fifty one, she says, God has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. And that's really what we see on display here as God sends the angels to these shepherds. God didn't send the announcement of the Christ child's birth to Caesar or to some regional governor. No, he sends his angel to these lowly shepherds. But really this should be no surprise because God has actually a a very long track record of choosing uh, the lowly and even in particular choosing shepherds all the way back from the, the opening chapters of the Bible, Abel, uh, of the two brothers, Cain and Abel, he was the one who was a keeper of sheep and whose offering uh, pleased God. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, they all lived in tents and kept sheep and oxen and other livestock. Moses was keeping sheep uh, when the Lord, when Yahweh spoke to him out of that burning bush. And then, of course, young David was away keeping the sheep. They didn't even call him in for the, the big meal, the big event with, with the prophet Samuel coming by. Uh, they had to call him over so that Samuel could anoint him to be king of Israel. So again and again, God calls lowly shepherds into, into a special relationship with him and often assigns important tasks for them in the history of redemption, in his plan. And not only that, but maybe the most shocking thing of all is that God even calls himself a shepherd. Of course, you know, famously, the the shepherd king, David, writes in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. And in Ezekiel 34, when the the shepherds, the leaders, the rulers of Israel are failing to protect and care for their people and and instead are are, are abusing and uh, exploiting them, God declares that he will be the shepherd of his sheep. He himself will come and seek the lost and bind up the injured And at the very same time, God says he will set up a shepherd over his people. And he calls this shepherd his servant David. Now, Ezekiel's prophecy is coming, you know, hundreds of years, long after David's death. So God isn't referring to the original David. He's referring to a future son of David to Jesus, the one who was going to come and who was going to say in John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So certainly it isn't by chance, it isn't just kind of random or coincidental that God brings the announcement of Christ's birth to these shepherds. The angel wasn't just kind of flying along and said, oh, there's some people down there, right? This was very intentional. And, and you know, these shepherds, 
they probably had an up-close and personal understanding of, of the reality and, and of the cost of redemption, of forgiveness, of, of restoration with God. Based on the location where they were keeping these sheep, it's, it's very likely that their flocks were, were lambs who were destined for sacrifice at the temple in Jerusalem. And so it's, it's very possible these shepherds were spending their days and their nights caring for, feeding, protecting these animals who were destined for sacrifice. And that night, lying in a manger among all the cattle and the sheep, they were going to meet this newborn Savior who was, in fact, the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. Now, as the shepherds are so honored and privileged to receive this this heavenly announcement, their initial response, understandably, is that of great fear. Uh, This is one of those occasions where, you know, the Greek, the original Greek is kind of interesting. It basically says they feared a great fear, just to kind of emphasize how much fear was going on. Um, The angel of the Lord, who is this messenger sent directly from the creator of the universe, has appeared, and it says the glory of the Lord is shining all around them. The shining glory of the Lord is something that appears throughout the Bible, uh, often as bright light. Um, sometimes smoke or cloud is also associated with that. So we think of the pillar of cloud and fire that leads the children of Israel in the wilderness, or the, the, the thick cloud that fills the temple uh, when Solomon dedicates it, and the priests are overwhelmed. They can't even uh, minister anymore. But when you come face to face with God's glory in this way, it's going to undo you. It's going to evoke awe and reverence and even terror. Um, Think of, if if you're familiar with the story, the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. He has this vision of the Lord, of Yahweh, seated on his throne, high and lifted up, and there are these winged seraphim, these, these divine creatures uh, flying around, crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. It says the foundations of the temple shook and the place was filled with smoke. There's that smoke again. And what is Isaiah's response? It's woe is me. For I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You know, sometimes in our, our approach to God, um, whether that's kind of together in our, in our church services, in our corporate gatherings, or, or just personally in our, our own kind of attitudes regarding worship and faith, we can we can begin to lose sight of the glory and majesty of God, his, his transcendence, his power. Because he is so holy, so far above. The Bible says he dwells in unapproachable light. And nothing sinful or unclean is able to come into his presence. And you see, if we lose sight of God's holiness, if we lose sight of his, his majesty, then we don't have the appropriate awe and fear 
our God is great and majestic, and so it's only in the context of that, that reverence and fear that we can then truly appreciate the good news of his mercy and his, his kindness. Because think about it, the shepherds were greatly afraid, and then they were told, fear not, for I bring you good news of great joy, because a Savior is born for you. And in the same way, Isaiah, when he cries out, woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips, it's then that the seraphim comes and brings him this, this burning coal from the altar, touches his lips and says, your guilt is taken away, your sin atoned for. And so that's why in our, in our Sunday morning uh, worship services, we, we often like to begin with, with a call to worship from, from Scripture that's going to highlight God's greatness. Something like Psalm 47, 2 that says, The Lord, the Most High, is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. Or Psalm 99, 1, The Lord reigns, let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim, let the earth quake. Or often we may, we may try to do one of our opening songs um, that not only celebrates uh, God's, God's greatness and his goodness, but also highlights his majesty, his holiness. Uh, something like the song Lion and the Lamb that says, He's coming on the clouds. Kings and kingdoms will bow down. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Or another song we do called Rejoice, and it starts out, Come and stand before your maker, full of wonder, full of fear. Come behold his power and glory, yet with confidence draw near. Now the reason behind that, the reason we would want to plan the service in that way, is it's only when we catch a vision for how high, how lifted up, how great our God is that we can truly marvel and truly rejoice and truly appreciate the miracle that he would draw near to us, that he would, in the incarnation, humble himself and empty himself and become a small, helpless child in order to save us. And, you know, we can cultivate this beyond our, our Sunday morning services. We can cultivate that in our own devotions in our, in our personal or in our family worship, in our prayer life, but to, to begin with God's glory, his greatness, his majesty, and then to be able to worship with great joy because this awesome God, this holy God, invites us near and calls us his children. Now, what is, what is the message? What is the, the content of what the angel announces to the shepherds? We see that In verse 11, he says, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So the angels are announcing uh, good news. This is the the gospel. And it's a cause for rejoicing. It's, It's news of great joy. And then we see also there's a universal scope to this news. It is for all the people. And then he mentions again, the child has been born in the city of David. He's the son of David. He's the one promised to come sit on David's throne. And then he's given these, these, these different titles. He is a savior. He is Christ, meaning the, the anointed one or the Messiah. And he is 
Lord. So not only does the angel announce all these, uh, this, this wonderful good news, but he also gives the shepherds a sign in verse 12, where he says, This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Now, this sign, it helps the shepherds to find and identify the child. Now, sometimes signs are miraculous, like when Zechariah loses the ability to speak for months. But this sign, in a lot of ways, is, is really quite ordinary. The baby's going to be wrapped in cloths. He's going to be lying in a, in a feeding trough. But see, in this case, the medium is the message, as it were. What this sign communicates is something profound about the nature of this king, this, this savior, the royal son of David. This deliverer sent by God, this Messiah who's called Lord, where are you going to find him? Wrapped up in strips of cloth, lying there among the barnyard animals in a, in a feeding trough. And then after hearing this news and receiving the sign, then the angel is, is suddenly joined by a whole multitude of the heavenly host. You know, we hear this word a lot, especially at Christmas time, the heavenly host. But you know, a host actually means an army. So when we see, even in the Old Testament, in various places, the Lord of hosts, Lord of hosts, doesn't mean he's, he's throwing a lot of parties or something. It's the Lord of armies, all right? So... This is an army. This is a a legion of angels like Jesus talked about later in the Gospels. But this army, see, it's not here to conquer or to subdue rebels. No, it's come to announce peace. And so this heavenly host breaks into a song of praise. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Because of the Savior's birth, there can be peace peace between God and humanity. There can be reconciliation, restoration of of fellowship. Enemies, God's enemies can be pardoned and brought back home. Now when they say this this phrase, peace among those with whom he is pleased, among, among those whom he favors, who are they talking about there? And in some ways it's, it's, it's a complicated question. But I think clearly God has brought, they say, peace on earth. So it's not peace only to Israel. He's extending this peace to all people. Through the newborn Savior, God's mercy and his grace is offered to people everywhere. And and certainly to say, you know, those with whom God is pleased, it can't refer to just those who are going to work hard, who are going to earn God's favor. No, his mercy, his peace are offered freely to all people everywhere. The only requirement, the only, the only thing that is needed is to humbly accept the gift and, and in faith to embrace this Savior. To say with, with the tax collector uh, in Luke 18, God be merciful to me, a sinner. And so these shepherds, they get to hear this amazing good news, this gospel. And it's the same gospel that each and every one of us need to hear. They could only hear this good news because of the kindness and mercy of God. It was God's initiative, God's revelation. He sent the angels to them. And for each of us, 
each of us here who have heard the gospel, it's no less only by God's kindness and mercy. We can't make that happen, but if we have heard the gospel, it's by his, his grace, his mercy. So we need to hear the gospel, and then number two, we need to meet the Savior. And so in verses 15 and 16, we see the shepherd's response. After the angels leave, go back up into heaven, the shepherds quickly take action. They decide to go to Bethlehem, which is the city of David, which was mentioned by the angels, and they want to see this thing that has happened, this birth that the Lord has made known to them. And they, they understand this angel was sent by God, and so ultimately it's, ultimately it's the Lord who has revealed this thing to them. And so it says they go with haste, they hurry, they find Mary and Joseph, they find the baby lying in a manger. Now clearly it would have, it would have made no sense for them to hear all these things, this incredible good news, and then to just do nothing. They needed to go and see for themselves. They needed to find this newborn child. And so they did just that. They met the newborn Savior, Jesus. And of course, again, apart from God working first, God revealing this, this news to them, they never would have known about the child in the first place. They certainly, without the angel's sign, they never would have, would have been able to find him and identify him. So it's God's gracious choice, yes, to, to bring the good news to these shepherds. But for their part, the shepherds had to respond in faith. They had to go and see. Clearly, it's the obvious thing to do, but at the same time, we can't take that for granted. And you see, the Christian faith is not about merely hearing the gospel It's not just about knowing a certain set of facts or praying a prayer. It's not about having more pure doctrine than everyone else out there. You know, the shepherds could have heard this message from the angels. They could have remembered every detail that was told them. They could have recited it without error, word for word. But that wouldn't have counted for anything. They had to go and see this thing that God had made known to them. And they had to go and meet Jesus. You might be here this morning and maybe you've heard the gospel your entire life. You could be a child or a teen or or maybe you're, you're you're an adult. But you know, maybe you know all the stories from the Bible. And you could, you could tell someone else uh, all the things about Jesus. How, how he came to live the life that we could not live, a life of perfect, sinless obedience. And he came to die the death that we deserved, dying on the cross in our place. And then how he rose from the dead and how anyone who turns from their sins and puts their trust in him can be saved, can be forgiven of their sins, can, can have the gift of eternal life. And like I said just a moment ago, if you know this gospel story, if you've heard it, if you've been taught it, That is wonderful, and it's an evidence of God's kindness to you. It's only because of his gracious revelation that you can know all those things. But you know what? It's not enough to know all the right information. You have to come and see Jesus, the Savior, for yourself, in person. And as as you look at him in, 
in the gospel accounts, in the pages of scripture, and you look at all the things that he said and did and who he claimed to be, you have to decide what to do with this Jesus. If he is who he says he is, what should you do in light of that? Now, the answer is like when you're taking a test and the teacher decides to just give you the answer up front. Here's the answer. You should kneel before the manger. You should worship the Savior. You should put all your trust in him as the only one who can save you. You should give him your life. But, you know, even though I can, I can tell you that, I can give you the answer, but no one else can do it for you. Have you really met Jesus? Not just heard everything about him, but met him personally and come to terms with, with who he is and what your response is going to be. And it doesn't matter if you're a teenager who's grown up in the church, maybe you're an adult who's sat in a church for, for decades, or maybe you're hearing the message about Jesus for the very first time, just now, just this morning. But if you don't have a truly living and authentic relationship with Jesus, you can change that today. You can take this message, this gospel, this good news, you can take it seriously, you can come and meet Jesus and and look at him honestly, let your defenses down and ask yourself, whether you should just keep going on trying to, to govern and to control, to manage your own life on your own and ask yourself, how is that really working out for you? Or whether you should embrace this humble, merciful Savior and bow the knee to this, this King who came bringing an offer of peace and joy and redemption. So each and every one of us, we need to hear this gospel. We need to meet the Savior. And then third and finally, we need to tell the world. We see that in verses 17 through 20. Now now that the shepherds have come, they've found the baby Jesus. They've met him. They found him just as the angels told them. Just exactly the way the sign was given to them. And now they make known immediately everything that was told them about this newborn child. They can't be silent about the incredible things they've heard, they've seen, they've experienced. Because God has, has broken into their quiet and ordinary lives with a message of good news, with, with this unspeakable glory and light from the angels. And most of all, he's broken in through the person of this little child, Israel's promised Messiah. So they can't help but tell others, not just about the news they've heard, but the person that they've met. You know, this is what Jesus has called his followers to do ever since. You know, in Luke chapter 8, he tells the man delivered from, from many demons, he says, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And then he sends out his 12 disciples to go out and proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. After the resurrection, he sends Mary Magdalene to go and tell the disciples that she has seen the risen Christ. And then, of course, in Matthew 28, he gives his disciples the great commission. He tells them to go 
and make disciples of all nations, to baptize them and to teach them. But notice, as we continue to look down into the text here, verse 18, not everyone responds to the message of the shepherds in the same way. Luke says in verse 18, all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. You know, amazement at the the remarkable story that the shepherds had to tell, amazement and wonder is not enough. You know, this, this kind of general crowd, all the people who heard about it, they don't seem to have done anything with, with that wonder and that amazement. I wonder if for some it was kind of like in Jesus' parable of the sower where, where the seed falls on the path and then the birds snatch it away. The shepherd's word, their, their, their account seems to have kind of made an initial impression on the hearers, but then it just quickly fades away. So don't let that be you today. Now Mary, on the other hand, we hear in verse 19, Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. This is the right response to, to such, just such wonderful news, so many incredible things. Now there may be aspects of God's plan that you don't fully comprehend. You know what? I'm a pastor, Tanner, Pastor Tanner would say the same things. There's things that we don't fully understand. There may be things that you still need time to, to process and to keep learning and to keep growing in your understanding. But as you hear the gospel, uh, and Lord willing, we want to be sharing and preaching and reminding you of the gospel here week in and week out. But as you hear it, whether it's for the first time or for the 500th time, take it. And like Mary, hold it close to your heart. Treasure it up as valuable and continue to to think on it and meditate on it. And you know what? The thing that that initially, even just at face value, seems so beautiful, so welcoming, so mysterious and and weighty and important, you know what? It's only going to become richer and deeper and more satisfying over time as you just continue to delve into the, the unfathomable, the endless riches of the gospel. So Mary provides a good example for us as we, we're both meant to be uh, like the shepherds going and telling everyone, but then also as we are told the gospel even again and again, What do we do with it? Mary is an example of that for us. The other example is the shepherds themselves. As they they leave this stable, as they leave behind the newborn baby Jesus, and they return to their, their flock out in the field, they're glorifying and praising God for all they'd heard and seen. They not only told others about the wonderful things that they saw and heard, But they themselves were celebrating and praising God for his mercy, his kindness, his faithfulness. And we should, likewise, not only this Sunday, not only in the month of December, but all all year, every day, we should glorify and praise God for his son, Jesus Christ, because the Savior has come, the promised one,
who came bringing salvation, who came as the light shining into the darkness, this Prince of Peace who is foretold by Isaiah. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. That is a reason to praise and to glorify our gracious and merciful God. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that by simply your kindness, you not only had a plan to send Jesus as our Savior, for him to come and die and rise again, but God, you had a plan for that to be made known through your apostles, through the church, uh, to every corner of the earth. And we are here today in 2021 in Rapid City, and we have heard the gospel. The gospel has been told to us from the pages of your word, even in the songs that we've sung. God, what a blessing, what a privilege that is. We pray that we would not only hear this news, but we would come and see, we would taste and see just the beauty and the glory of Jesus Christ, that we would embrace him, each and every one here today, and that we would, we would go and tell others, even as we continue to, to glory and praise in all that you have done. You have done great things for us. We praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.